This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. So this this month, you guys are talking about the pastoral. Yeah, right? Yes, okay. So, um, so I got invited. Um, which is interesting in some ways, but it's awesome as well. So I'm excited. I'm going to, I'm going to just share with you in the first session. I kind of tried to explain what's going on in my head. So I'm not going to do that again because that's like, uh, you know, want to go there. I'm just going to talk you through my little process in, in, in coming to this morning. If that's okay. So awesome. So many church, well, not many, but hope alive is here. Hey, hello, hope alive. That's so awesome. Um, so we've got different groups here. Isn't that amazing? How the body of Christ, when we come together, I love that, right? So, um, I want to share with you a little bit my view on, on, on the pastoral and on, and on the, the heart of the shepherd this morning. So please be patient and, uh, just kind of journey with me a little bit. All right. So the, lo- the last two verses in, in the Old Testament is Malachi chapter four, uh, verse five and six. It's the Italian prophet, right? Maliacci, right? So anyway, so he's also there. And um, so he, the last prophecy that is given by the Lord through him is the famous verses. Maybe it's up there. Me and Yvette, we're getting along so well after today. Thank you so much, Yvette. You're awesome. Um, but it's, it's where he says the five, verse five and six. It says, um, behold, verse five, I'm sorry. Um, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Right? So let's just pause here for a minute. So he's saying Elijah's dead, obviously, right? And he's saying, I'm sending Elijah the prophet again, which is weird because he's dead. So, but it's about the spirit of Elijah, the anointing, whatever you want to call it. This is what he's referring to. And, um, if you think of Elijah, well, if I think of Elijah, I think of many things. I don't think of a shepherd and I don't think of a family man. That's not me, right? But I think of raising the dead. I think of miracle signs and wonders. I think of a guy that's going to call down fire on the ball prophets, etc., etc. I think of a guy that's being lifted off of one mountain and put on another one by the Lord because it's in the Bible. I think of a guy that they, they tell the kings, hey, don't talk in your inner chambers because Elijah will hear what you have to say, right? So that's what I think of. Right. So, and the Lord says, I'm going to send him again. So I'm excited, right? Because I'm thinking, you know, all of these things are going to happen. And then verse six comes and he says, and he shall turn and reconcile the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, a reconciliation produced by repentance of the ungodly. Lest I come and smite the land with a curse and a ban of utter destruction. That last sentence does not sound like fun, right? So the final prophecy in the Old Testament is about, you know, the spirit of Elijah that's going to come. It's going to manifest in some way, shape, or form. But it's not going to be any of the things that we thought it would be, right? Because we want to see fire fall from heaven and burn everything up. We want to see the dead raised and all of that, which we do want to see, But God says, no, no, when he comes this time around, he's going to reconcile families to each other. Fathers to children and children to fathers. It's almost like this pastoral ministry in our view, right? And he says, this is what I'm going to do when the spirit of Elijah comes, right? And it's, it's, it's a grace that reconciles and that builds family. Isn't that profound, right? Then fast forward a little bit. We're in the New Testament and enters John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist, weird dude. So I can see some similarity to Elijah there. He's got a different fashion sense. It's okay, whatever, whatever works for you, right? His diet is probably not what you and I'm going to have, but that's also cool. Whatever you want to do, man, just, you know, be yourself, right? (laughs) As long as God is in it, right? Anyway, so he, he rocks up. He does not do one miracle that we're aware of, not one. Um, and he does not really prophesy that we're aware of. Okay, so John the Baptist. So surely this is not the spirit of Elijah on him. Yet Jesus, the boss, 
That's the good part. If you're Jesus, you can just say stuff, right? Because it's the truth. <laughs> so Jesus goes in Matthew chapter 11 and he says, well, um, I just want to tell you something that the spirit of Elijah has already come. You rejected him, but he has come. And the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist, right? Are you following? Are you tracking with me? So Malachi chapter 4 the spirit of Elijah will come. If it doesn't come, if reconciliation of families doesn't happen, I'm sorry, we're going to smite the earth, right? Real bad news. Luckily, he comes, and it's John, John the Baptist. Jesus says that's him. Yet he does nothing that Elijah did, almost nothing, literally. And Jesus speaks of John, and he says that John not only walked in the spirit of Elijah, but he also is the greatest prophet that ever lived. Remember that part? And you go, what did he prophesy? What did he do? Because it's weird. Like, why is he the greatest? If I'm Elijah on the grave, I'm going, come on, Lord, that's ridiculous. Forgot the Baal prophets. I did all of that with you, of course. But I mean, we did a lot of stuff, you know, drought and rain and all of that. And he's like, no, John is the one. And everybody's going, why? And then if you look a little bit deeper, there's one prophecy that John gave. It's in John chapter 1, verse 29. It's very short, so you don't even have to page there. This is the prophecy. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Right? And Jesus, look at that moment, because he's pointing everybody to Jesus. That's what he did. Points everybody to Jesus, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? Greatest prophet who ever lived is the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And family is restored. Now, what I want to, what I want you to see is that as believers, as the body of Christ, there's a desire in the heart of God for the reconciliation between fathers and sons and sons and fathers. Church is supposed to be community. It's supposed to be family, right? It's supposed to be a gathering of people and some of them are weird, right? Just look to yourself. Some of them are strange. They're mostly different than you. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic groups, different food groups, different people groups. Doesn't really matter, right? But something about this gathering that we have here is so important to God But he says that this will be the very thing that breaks the curse of the land. It's pretty wild, isn't it? He says that this restoration of a family unit, that's what's going to change things. And the, the point of all of this was it started with the prophecy that says, behold the Lamb of God, right? As we behold the Lamb of God, it seems like this reconciliation starts taking place, right? So the prophetic starts ushering in, saying this is what's going to happen. Then finally the greatest prophet of all times, John the Baptist, rocks up and he goes, that's the one, look at him. And in that looking, in that beholding, in that sense of deep, pure, true worship is where reconciliation starts taking place and people come together, right? It's interesting when I look at church, how often we want to bring different church groups together and we organize a breakfast, which is awesome. Nothing against those. Like breakfast, right? Who likes breakfast? Put up your hands. Yeah. Bacon and eggs. That's good. Well, eggs a little bit. (laughs) Right? So we're just doing bacon at the moment, right? We've got to go for the cheap stuff, right? Eggs is whoo. Right? So we love breakfast. Nothing wrong with breakfast. We love to fellowship. We love to come together. But I want to tell you something. If we want to see unity in the body of Christ, if you want to see unity in your own home, if you want to see unity in your workplace, if you want to see unity in your friends, rather gather around the Lamb and behold Him together. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that, fathers turn to their children and children turn to their fathers. Right? Something happens when pure worship in spirit and truth comes out of us. It's attractive. 
Everyone in this room is a shepherd. You are shepherding something or someone, right? Even myself, who don't really see myself as a shepherd, I am a shepherd. Why? Because I have a wife and I have children and I have people around me and I have church members. You have a wife and you have children or you have friends. You have a home group. You have a business. You have a school where you teach. You have something that you do in life with people and usually people are involved, right? It's the beauty of life that people are involved, and that's also the problem of life. People are always involved, right? It's like they're always there. It's like, oh, can we just get away from that? I'm just kidding. Love people, right? But they do come with a certain amount of problems. Yeah? <laughs> Was that, did I say it out loud? <laughs> you see the shepherd in me. <laughs> and, but in that reconciliation... That's where the power of God rests. But what reconciles us is worship, is truly beholding the Lamb. And I want to tell you something. No one smells a fake like an unbeliever. Have you noticed? A fake Christian, for some reason, an unbeliever will smell you a mile away. We're like, this dude is full of it. (laughs) You are not real. True worship gathers. True worship gathers, right? John says, behold the lamb. Jesus says of John, wow, now there's a prophet. And in it is the fulfillment of the final prophecy in the old covenant. Like, this is what's going to break the curse of the lamb. It's people that can behold the lamb together. And suddenly there's reconciliation in family. God is, you know, Psalm, Psalm 127 is a, is a beautiful psalm. And um, it's such, let's go there. I'm going to read it for you. Um, God thinks so different than we do, right? Because we think how the psalm thinks. I'm going to read it to you. It says, unless, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise early, to retire late, to eat the bread of anxious labors. For he gives blessings to his beloved even in his sleep. We all love that verse. Like I joked this morning, especially the teenagers and the students. That's their life verse. Why shall we wake up early? It's in vain, right? Just sleep. No, don't be lazy. That's not what it says. What is it saying? It's interesting because I think Solomon, that's my understanding, Solomon wrote the psalm. So what it goes about is, is Solomon is speaking. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, it is in vain. Unless he guards the city, it is in vain, right? What is the point of the verse? Like we often in our minds, we think, what structure am I going to build that's going to shepherd the people? How am I going to organize my family and my life so that we can shepherd, so that we can create this reconciliation platform, right? How do I, and all of these things are awesome. Building the house of the Lord, it's awesome, right? Building a godly kingdom business is awesome. All of these things, it's, it's awesome. It's good things. It's wonderful things. There's nothing wrong with it. But he goes, unless the Lord builds it, it's in vain, which we all no, we all understand that. And he gives to his beloved in his sleep. So it's this place of rest. And he's kind of going against this idea of putting a structure together or starting with a structure, right? Then, so are you still with me? Am I making, I really hope I'm making sense. Then he jumps to this part. So he goes, don't do this, right? He's like, don't, don't do that. that. That's kind of foolishness. The Lord's going to handle this thing. He's going to do it. He's going to give it to you in your sleep. Don't think structure. Don't, don't think this way. Then he jumps to these words. He says, behold, children are a heritage and a gift from the Lord. The, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed, happy, fortunate is the man whose quiver is filled with them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. You're like, what is Solomon smoking, right? Because we're talking about structures building stuff for God, right? And he's kind of going, you know what? Don't do that. 
Don't stress about that too much. He's going to give to you in your sleep. And then the next minute he leaps and he goes to, you know what's awesome, guys? Children. Ah. We want to build structures, right? Organizations that's going to touch the earth. It's going to become a movement. God says, I want you to build families. And out of families, a movement will arise that will touch the earth. It's a completely different way of thinking, right? We think, let's organize the living daylights out of this thing. He thinks, let's give people a home. Let's give them a place where they feel they belong, right? I have seen, in my life, I've been privileged, I've seen incredible miracles, I've seen signs and wonders. I've heard incredible teachers with deep revelation and profound mysteries that they teach. I've seen all of these things and they're glorious. But I want to tell you something. You know what makes people stay? It's family. It's family. It's the sense of I'm belonging somewhere. And don't get me wrong. I'm for the other stuff. 100% in. 100%. But there's something about belonging, family, that heals broken hearts. And it's the heart of the fathers and the hearts of the sons that turn to each other. Right? Blessed is the man who has children. And forget about just biological children. I want you to think about your children at work that work for you, with you. Your children, you know, in your home group. Your children, you know what I mean. Spiritual family. I'm not just talking about like biological, although that would be a good starting place, but some of you don't have children, so don't stress about it, right? There's something about this blessing, and he says that they are the arrows in your quiver. Not your strategy, not the organization that you build, children. They are the arrows in the quiver that can be launched into dark places to win great exploits for the kingdom. Sons and daughters of God. They are the ones that when you stand at the gate and the enemy comes, because you have children, family, in the Lord, you don't feel ashamed. Isn't that something? The Lord is weird. But he's awesome. Because he loves family. He loves the gathering of believers He loves a structure where we can come together and people behold the Lord together. That's where it starts. Behold Jesus together. Worship the Lord together. And in that turning to the Lord, he starts turning hearts to one another. Breakfast is great. Having breakfast together for unity is awesome. But I want to tell you something. If we want to get churches together, let's worship and pray together without an agenda. That is how you build unity. If you want your family to function as a unit together, throw a bunch of stuff out of the window, but let's start beholding the land together and see what happens in your family. See what transforms, what transpires inside of your own house, inside of your own organization. Right? There's something about worship that draws people into the Lord. And that produces this reconciliation that we all long for. Right? Don't put structure, don't put organization above of these things. Of course you need to organize, of course you need a plan. Even I have a plan. I know it doesn't look like it, but I do. Right? In all my not knowing which verses to give you that, I do have a plan, right? There is a plan, of course. But the plan cannot take precedent over the feeling of family. Program cannot take precedent over the sense of belonging, family. Fellowship, coming together. The Acts church, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if you can, if you go and read the last couple of verses of Acts chapter 2, what is the one thing they did? They came together on a daily basis, breaking bread together, fellowshipping, listening to the apostolic teachings, and just spending time together as a unit, as a family that became a movement that took over the world. Right? Did they have organized, did, were they organized? Yes but organized around what and out of what. Their organization was about how are we going to worship more effectively. 
And out of that, God's going to speak and now we start building. Right? But it's the coming together in the presence of the Lord that releases the oil that's supposed to flow and unite a body of people and reconcile families back to each other. But if it's about a result, about a program, we're going to miss the point. The, the agenda is, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb together. Right? So, the greatest shepherd of all time, his name is Jesus. Yeah, it's like, you know, the children's church, like, if you're not sure what the answer is, it's Jesus. Right? It's always Jesus. So, but if we want to look at his life a little bit, like Psalm 23 feels to me like a great place to go. Right? So I want you to have a look at Psalm 23, and let's just go through it together. Um, it's pretty famous. But I want to talk through it a little bit out of this perspective of how do I become a good pastor, a good shepherd? And I'm not talking about a church. Everyone in this room is supposed to pastor. Jonah, pastor something or someone, right? We're supposed to pastor. Uh, we're supposed to lead. How do you lead your family? How do you lead your wife? How do you lead those around you? So Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a good thing. The Amplified adds these words, to feed, to guide, and to shield me. By the way, that's what shepherds do. Feed, guide, shield. Feed the flock, guide them, shield them. Right? Very simple, but that's what a shepherd did. The Lord is my shepherd, so we behold him. Right? We behold him together. And then it says, I shall not lack. I want to tell you something this morning. If you want to lead the people around you well, shepherd them well, right? Your home, your workplace. You've got to instill the sense that there is no lack in God, in them. Right? And this is what I mean with that. It's how many of you... I've had financial hard times in your life. Can the whole room just lift up your hand? Come on, just be honest. Oh my gosh, right? All of us have had challenging times. Now, you know, I know compared to what, I get it, but you, we've all been through financial times, but it's really hard. How many of you have had a sense of a blessed time? Like even if it was a day, but you felt like really financially blessed. Yeah, we all, we probably we all had our highs and lows a little bit, right? So everybody in this room can relate to the fact that we had highs and we had lows. Can we, can we agree with that, right? So there's a, a bit of a unifying factor. My high and your high might not look the same, but we had highs and lows, right? In the high, it is easy to quote Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Look at me, you know, whew, no lack here, you know. But in the season where we don't have much, that is really hard. But it's still true. Agreed? Because lack in this sense or want in this sense is not material. It's not only about material stuff, but it's about the fact that if I can stay close enough to the shepherd, I know he's going to guide me, he's going to feed me, and he's going to shield me. No matter what circumstances are in, it's not a wallet or a bank account issue. It's a, it's a prosperity of the soul issue. All right? And we have to shepherd people well in a place where we have lack in the physical. But they have to see that in, even though we have lack in the physical, that there's overflow in our relationship with God because we have a shepherd. He's still my shepherd and I shall not want. So if today is a bit of a dry day, I know he's busy leading me towards what? Verse 2, still waters and green pastures. So we're just taking a walk, right? But we're going to get to the destination that I need. Your children, the people that you lead, they must see seasons of apparent lack in the natural, they must see your faith functioning in that hour as well to shepherd them into a reality where God is truly the center of everything that we do and that despite our circumstances, we are content. Right? Are you with me? Too often we want to shield people from our hard seasons. We don't want them to see that. 
there is wisdom in allowing people to see glimpses of that. Because if they can see me in my heart season, still holding on to the shepherd, then I've built faith into them when the breakthrough comes. Are you with me? My children, in the early years of ministry, it was a little bit hard, right? We jumped into this thing called full-time ministry. You know, we don't pastor a church in, in this kind of capacity. That's not what the Lord called us to. So we are walking by faith, which means you often don't have money, right? You don't have a salary. And it's like, I don't know how this is going to work. Like literally people would go, how does this work? I'm like, I don't really know. It's like, so do you just sit under a tree all day? I'm like, no, that's not what I want to do. But, you know, sometimes we do. So do you fast out of choice or do you have to because there's no food in the cupboard? It's a bit of both. No, I'm just kidding. Never had we had a hungry day in our life unless it was out of choice. And we've been doing this for 13, 14 years, right? So the Lord is awesome. But in those seasons, there were times of lack. Where the bank account didn't align with Psalm 23 verse 1. I'm sorry to say that to you. And some of those seasons were around our children's birthdays. So what do you do? Right? So what we decided to do is let's make them part of the journey. And go, listen, mommy and daddy really wants to buy you that bike. That beautiful blue one. But we just don't have the money. And unless Jesus shows up, I'm sorry, we're going to have awesome cake, but we're not having a bike. Right? Which is hard if you're a parent. Okay? And they go, okay. You know, we're like young. We're like, yeah, okay. And then what do you do? You pray. You behold the lamb. Because what else are you going to do? Right? And then suddenly he breaks through. And there's a beautiful blue bike on birthday day. And what happens? They go, how did that happen? And I say, well, I know this guy called the shepherd. And what they learn is that if they can provide for me, they can provide for them. So I've just shepherded, shepherded, shepherded it. I've just pastored them into faith, into the experience of faith and not just the talk of it, right? Now, there's wisdom in it, so don't overbear, you know, all of those things. But inviting people into this journey is part of being a good shepherd. Because when they see the breakthrough, they go, oh, that's pretty cool. Then you have to teach them that it's not like a lucky packet. You know, you've got to teach that part as well. It's not like, Daddy, I want this. No, we just pray. We're going to get stuff. No, no, not, you know, not always. So, but that's the awesomeness about being a shepherd. That is the beauty about beholding the lamb. Because the hearts of fathers and children are being drawn to each other. Why? Because we see the shepherd at work in the midst of us. And he's the unifying factor. Right? But I have to involve them in the journey. The team needs to see the journey. Otherwise, they just stand on the side and think, why am I not having a birthday gift? Just an example. Why am I not having a raise at work? Well, make them part of the journey. Right? And the shepherd unites us. And suddenly we fight together for something. We're beholding the lamb together. It's true worship. And that's where the reconciliation is. I want to encourage you in that in whatever capacity you live, involve the people that the Lord has given to you in this journey. It's important. They've got to see that, right? Verse 2 is where I want to go next. Are you still okay? What time am I supposed to finish? Anytime, okay. That was dangerous. <laughs> Verse 2, it says, He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. Right? So what do shepherds do 
shepherds determine to still waters speaks of what we look at, right? It speaks of what we behold, right? And it speaks of the word because the word is a mirror. So also the more we behold the word of God, the waters, the more his image become our image, the more we are transformed into the image of the Lord, right? So it's what we look at, right? The, the grass is what we consume. So what we graze upon. So it's, and I'm going to make a t-shirt, gazing and grazing. Look at that. Like, look at me dropping a rhyme, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> right? But it's grazing. What do we feed on? And gazing. What do we look upon? Right? Because we all know that you become what you behold. Right? It's true. Because if you look at the people that only behold bad news, then only bad news comes out of their mouth after a while. If you, if you look at people that is like fanatic about health, which is awesome, but that's all that comes out of their mouth, right? We want people that's fanatic about the, sh- the shepherd. So we've got to behold him together. We've got to be sure shepherds want their sheep to eat healthy. There's farmers in the room, so I know they, they, they get it. Like you don't give them bad feed. You give them the best feed that you possibly can, right? You want to feed them well. And this is kind of what I want to touch on for a minute, but in a spiritual sense, it's to bring people together to feed together on what is healthy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is like, one of my favorite chapters in this moment. It's, just, it's Moses reminding the people of Israel after they left Egypt, saying to them, listen, there's a promised land waiting for you guys. Beautiful from verse 6 to 11. I'm not going to read all of it. It's going to take too much time. There's an awesome inheritance waiting for you just on the other side, right? And it's the whole story where it says that you are going to step, you're going to live into homes that you didn't build. You're going to eat the, uh, the land, fields that you didn't plant. And you're going to drink water out of wells which you didn't dig. It's an awesome deal. And by the way, I feel that's what's going to happen with the body of Christ. Like we are transitioning into one of the greatest inheritance releases that we've seen in years that the Lord is positioning us for. Stuff, promises that he's going to pour out. That's why it feels like funny season all around us because God is actually setting us up for this massive inheritance that's going to be released over the body. It's a changing of the guard, whatever you want to call it, but people are going to step into something new, right? So that's the promise. It's beautiful. But before the promise, this is what he says to the people. He says to them, listen, Moses, um, tell them the following. I need them to have the word in the middle of their eyes, have it around their um, wrists, uh, when they sit around the double t- dinner table, I want them to talk about the word. When you're thinking together, talk about the word. Meditate upon the word. Feed on the word. Talk about the testimonies of God. So what is he encouraging? He's encouraging people that eat the same diet, right? And the diet is not what Disney is feeding us or Hollywood or the news. or not. That's not the diet. The diet is the word of God, the stories of God, the testimonies of the Lord's power in our lives. He wants families to feed on that together, together, right? Don't sell your children cheap. Don't sell them out by feeding them garbage. Don't, right? <coughs> the other day, I, the other day is like a year ago. So let me just get my words right. I like the other day. <laughs> The other day we we're, we're watching, a, we were stuck in a hotel in, in, in America somewhere as a family. And you won't believe it, but we just wanted to relax. So we switched the TV on, right? Just because we're normal people like that as well. And we're like, surely there must be a TV show on here that we and the kids can watch together. So we ended up on one of those Disney channels. And they have these like little sitcom things, you know. And like we watched five minutes of it and I'm like, I feel like somebody just injected me with all the sugar in the world and I'm, I'm doing this and my, even my kids went, Oh, please, can we, this is horrible. Even they're like, please, dad, we can't watch this. It's like overstimulation. It is absolute garbage with no, absolutely no value at all. Zero value. Z- like literally zero. I think sugar has more value, maybe zero value. Zero. It's brain dead. 
it means absolutely nothing. And it's just an example about parenting. Yet we choose to let them graze on this. Why? It has no substance. Nothing. It's just entertainment. It's just noise. Where they could be feeding on stuff that actually has some morals in it. And I'm not only talking about Bible stories. There's actually shows that has morals in it. But slower paced, praise God for that, right? Because the still waters need to stay still. And here's the weirdness about it. I'm being serious. We feed people. We feed the world. And it's not just people. It's our business, our teams that we lead. We, we feed them. We overstimulate them with stuff. And then we wonder why the waters aren't still anymore. It's like you're hyping this thing up. We're doing it. Where a shepherd watches over the sheep knowing they can handle this and they cannot handle that. Understanding, right, what is good for them to eat on. Shepherds know what the flock needs to eat. They know what they need to be fed on. And they're aggressive about it. Because bad feed will kill the sheep. So why do we allow our families to feed on that which is not good? Isaiah 55. Why do you crave and work for that which does not satisfy? Come to the waters. Come and buy from me without money food that will satisfy. There is a place of satisfaction in the Lord where we can lead our people to. And it begins with, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Right? It begins with families worshiping the Lord together in spirit and truth. And you know what? I also have kids. Some mornings they are not that excited to do it, even though they're awesome. Here's the good advice for you. I don't care. Because if I leave them, they will only eat ice cream and chocolate as well. Am I right? And yet you stop them from eating that. They didn't want to come to church. I don't care. We're going. Like, but they don't want to. I don't care. They also don't want to get up in the morning for school. Do we not let them go? What about their emotions? Exactly. What about their emotions? They have unhealthy emotions. That's why I'm waking them up and taking them to church. Just like you have unhealthy emotions. I'm going to do it again. I did it this morning. I'm sorry for all the teenagers in the room. I'm going to absolutely ruin your day. Right? Sorry about that. A shepherd knows what the sheep needs to eat and what they can handle. Yeah, amen. Yet we put smartphones in the hand of our children and we say, have fun. I know 50-year-old grown-ups in ministry pastors because I sit with them that cannot manage their smartphone. And we think that a 13-year-old, 16-year-old, an 18-year-old can handle it. Why do we think that? We can't even handle it. For those of you that's a little bit older, I'm going to give away my age now. But... I could find pornography on MS-DOS in the old days. Do you remember MS-DOS? Yeah. We knew how to find it there. And that was a landmine. But, buddy, we could find it. So do you think that that phone, that they're not going to find something, even though they're not looking? Because you always say, but they're not looking. Yeah, they are. They 
they are looking. The pedophile, the human trafficker, the guy that wants to sell pornography to your child, they are looking. Your child is awesome, I'm sure. We can't even handle it, yet we hand it over to a generation younger than us, and we say, have your way. Guys, you've got to shepherd this thing. Sorry, teenagers, just spoiled your day, maybe, for some of you. And like I said earlier, the next verse is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. This is my point. The teenager will think that he's going to die when you remove that device. (laughs) But the shepherd is with him. (laughs) Right? And... It's a shadow. So it too shall pass. Don't worry. It's just a shadow of death. You won't die, right? Just man up. We're going to be all right. Okay? I know we want friendship with our children. I do too. But I rather want to be their shepherd. Do you hear me? I need to shepherd them through this thing. And listen, stuff happens. Like that. I get it. Don't get me wrong. But I want to be able to say, I at least did my best. At least did my best. What are we feeding our kids? What are we feeding our sheep? That's a negative side, but also positive. Right? My kids, at this point in time, right? So in a year or two, we can talk again. But I'm giving you fresh news as it is right now. Right? Because people always go, yeah, but you'll see. Maybe I will. In Jesus' name, I hope not. But I can just tell you where I am right now. Right? Where we are right now, they like our company. They like the stories of God. They like to hang out with us and laugh and hear about our lives. They like fellowship. They enjoy it. Right? And I want to tell you something. God is not boring. A life in the Lord of Jesus, beholding the Lamb together as a family, is not boring. It's very hard if you try and do that, but you're competing with sugar in Disney. That's why maybe turn the sugar down a little bit. Some of you need to put your children on a fast. And you're going to go, you see, that's why I'm not a pastor, by the way. So, this is what I mean. When we fast as grown-ups, They also fast. And what we do is we tell them no shows on TV that is not about Jesus. Nothing, right? Literally no sugar for that month. You go, oh, just a shadow. Don't worry. It's just a shadow. They'll be fine, right? And only content that is built around Jesus. You should try it. It's amazing how quiet the waters get. And how creative they become. Right? Why does God want us to fast? What happens with you? You detox. And you become quiet. The waters become quiet again. And suddenly you can hear the shepherd's voice. The distractions are away. We behold the lamp. And there's room for contemplation in your life. There's room for reconciliation. It's important. Are you still okay? Okay, I'm going to finish with this one because I see time is not standing still. Verse 5. Are you still okay? Okay. I really love you guys. Can you feel it? (laughs) Yeah. The thing people forget about shepherds is that all of the good ones in the Bible had big swords. (laughs) Yeah. They do have a rod and a staff. So they pull the sheep by the throat and they bring them close and they have a rod to kind of gently just help them change course. Right? It's important. It's important. Families come together. Eat together. Friends come together. Eat together. Make it about Jesus. Right? We love rugby. Spoke about it this morning. It's awesome. I love rugby. Okay, brace yourselves, we might lose the World Cup or not. I don't know, I'm not saying, I'm just, just want to prepare people that should it go wrong, that we don't crumble, you know, into pieces, right? It's going to be hard. You can see my kids are not ready for a loss, right? I just want to say that they're not ready, but I feel like I just need to prepare them just for the worst. I don't know what's going to happen, right? 
Like every time I think I can prophesy over sport events, I'm like, your Lord, she's like, you, I'm going to mess you up so much. I'm always wrong. Don't ever ask me what I, I'm always wrong, right? But here's the point. It's awesome watching rugby together, but can we have the undertone to be spiritual? Can we have the conversation to be around God about fellowship? And yes, it's awesome. Yay, go give an eight a bit. Man, he punched that guy so hard. It was beautiful. Blood is flowing. Come on. But Jesus is awesome, right? And afterwards, we're talking about him. We're enjoying the Lord. We're, we're, that's what I mean. It's like having life, but it's all in Christ. In him, we live and move and have our being. That's the way we should be, right? That's the way we should live. Verse 5, then I'm done. I think so. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Shepherds, leaders, whatever you are, and everybody's a leader. Prepare those around you that there is an enemy. Okay? It's important. There is a war. It's important that they know that. Children, the people that you disciple in the Lord, the young believers, whatever it is, there's a war. Right? And the quicker we translate that message to people, the quicker we do that, the quicker you're going to raise up people with a warfare mindset. Okay? Did you hear me? We want to raise up believers with a warfare mindset. What does that look like? Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. The war is that sometimes to behold is a bit of a fight. Did you hear me? There is an enemy. And life is not always going to be sweet and perfect and awesome. But there's also a table. There's a table. There's a table set for every believer with really good food with lots of nutrients, right? Lots of goodness in it. And it's set before us in the presence of our enemy. A good shepherd teaches his people that in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battle, we can still feast on God. We can still behold him. That is what a strong, powerful believer does is when opposition comes, when struggle comes, I still have the ability to focus on Jesus in the midst of all of that, keep my attention on him, feast on him, and then suddenly the enemy becomes smaller and he becomes bigger and my perspective keeps on changing, right? That's what shepherds do, right? That's what a shepherd does. It's to focus on the Lord in the midst of the onslaught because there will be onslaughts. It's okay. We're not focused on those. The issue is, I want to tell you, the greater danger is two. One is there's no enemy. That's a big problem. Because then why is life hard? Where's the shepherd? I thought we shall not lack. No, no, no. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. And then two verses later, we're walking through a valley of shadow of death. Right? No, we're going to go through stuff. That's the point. Like, One of my friends, David Hogan, says, I own this valley called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Like, we're not afraid of this thing. We've been here before. We're not freaking out. We're just going to go through it. Right? We've been here before. So the danger number one is there's no enemy. Big mistake. Teach them there's an enemy. Mistake number two is there's huge enemies. Let's focus on the enemy. That's your second problem. You want to be this guy that can feast on the table while all of this is happening around you. That's what he wants. That's what shepherds do. They lead people into that place where I realize this is important. What I feast upon, what I look upon right now, that's important. And in the midst of it, there's oil that's flowing over my head. So teach them the importance of the anointing that breaks the yoke. Teach people about the power of God. It's important. Teach your children about the need for the power of God in their lives. In every area of their lives. Teach your team. Teach your business people. I don't care if they think it's weird. They are going to need it. And they're going to thank you when the day comes. Because it will come. The day will come. And then hopefully we've prepared them for the day. Right? My cup overflows. That speaks of overflow. It speaks of joy. It speaks of the power of his salvation in my life. There is always something to be grateful for in every season. Teach them that, right? That's what shepherds do. That's how we gather 
groups, people, families together. It's around this thing about beholding the Lamb. And as we do it, we learn from the Great Shepherd, Psalm 23. We just learn out of his life, what am I supposed to do to lead a company of people through hard seasons? What do I allow? What do we allow people to engage on? Right? And it's not just... It's not just that, but like I say, the enemy is there. We all know he's there, right? Right, friends? Right? We're not living in a bubble. It's just drive around the city. He's there, right? The point is just, what are you going to be busy with while the storm is raging? Because if I behold him, if I behold him, then reconciliation will come. That's the key. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, 37, 38, he goes, he looks at the people, and he makes this powerful statement. He says, I don't have it here. It says, he had pity and compassion on the people, right? Can you put that up if you don't mind? Yeah. When he saw the throngs, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered. Has any of you seen bewildered people? Have you? Yeah. Amplified adds these words, harassed distressed, dejected, and helpless. Have you seen that? I told them this morning, I said the other day we were in Southernwood around 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon for an outreach. I don't know if you've been there, 4 o'clock, around about there for an outreach. Bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, and helpless. Lots of people like that. Lots of them. And Jesus looked and he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. The world is longing for shepherds. Generation, there's a generation that's longing for a shepherd, right? And you have got the shepherd inside of you. And in our worship, they will see him. And in our conduct, they might encounter him. Build a famine. Build family. Right? That's what this is. It's family. It's a body coming together being family, worshiping God together. And listen, we have enough. Life is hard enough. We can start throwing around stuff about what we disagree upon. And I promise you there's quite a few. I have opinions and I'm sure you do too, right? Are they important? I'm pretty sure they're not. What is important is can we behold Jesus together? Can we do that together? And out of that, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens, right? If I can get you closer to Jesus, I've succeeded. Yeah? If I get you dependent on me, I failed. But I can create a place where you can find him. And that's what you're supposed to do in your home, for your kids, for your wife, for your friends, for those around you. And that's a challenge I want to put out before you this morning. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.